I solemnly swear that I am up to no good. Messrs. Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot and Prongs are proud to present the Marauder's Map. If you succeed tonight, more than one innocent life may be spared. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Today we're discussing Chapter 18, Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot, and Prongs. So we have Anna back with us again. Hi! Uh, She kind of likes this chapter. It's no big deal. Yeah. Uh, So uh, this is going to be a really brief rundown uh, because this all happens in one room. So this whole chapter... The room where it happens. It's the room where it... It really is the room where it happens. Uh, So we basically... This entire chapter takes place in the Shrieking Shack uh, between Harry, Ron, Hermione, and Sirius and Lupin having this big conversation where Lupin just info dumps a lot. And uh, Sirius is very impatient. And the rest are just like, what the actual heck is going on right now <laughs> like um, the reason they try to instill on this conversation that Hermione tries to instill on this conversation wait 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 wild what <laughs> like, um if if you know Hermione's trying to get clarification on things and she's trying to keep up then you know it's like oh, what are we talking about anyway um I, I just wanted to start this off really quickly with we need to give Ron his props because so many props. a he has a horribly broken leg, and and this entire time since he left Hagrid's hut, he's been holding on to this squirming rat who's been biting and scratching him, and he's been holding on to it. Well, first he held on to the biting, scratching rat. Then while doing that, he held back Harry in the last chapter on his broken leg. Then he rolled on top of Sirius, so that Sirius couldn't get the wand. Like. Ron is just very active with this broken leg. We need to and give the biting, Ron, scratching, bleeding hands. We need to give Ron a toughness card. Like he gets a yes. card for toughness here. Absolutely. Because my goodness, Gryffindor. I. Gryffindor. We see yeah. him in the chess scene. Mm-hmm. It's a tough, brave Gryffindor moment. And obviously, he helps Harry in a lot of different ways in the Chamber of Secrets. But this, I feel like, is low key the toughest he's ever been. <laughs> <laughs> it just goes completely unnoticed. Like. Give Ron some props. Have you ever rat bit me or scratched I'm me? I'm tossing that thing first like... First, second, just boom, f- it's gone. Chucking it. Like, I yeah. scream dropped by Peter Pettigrew. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not having any of it. Uh, Sirius is obviously very single-minded here. Yeah. He is only there for one reason and one reason only, and it's not Harry. No, no it is not. But this quote that I, I have here is just uh it's dark it's aggressive it's threatening it's all of the above i want to commit the murder i was imprisoned for that's a line that made me think of a question yeah it's a very muggle question do you okay. think the wizarding world has double jeopardy oh i mean like sirius didn't finish serving his time so it's a moot point for him but like say he didn't escape. He was released. And he went free and he committed the murder he was in prison for. I wonder if would he could he be in Would he get in prison twice yeah. for it? Or would they just imprison him for the original sentence and be like, well, you did it. Right. So we're going back to it. I know, right? Like, I just like, um, slid it through my mind and then I moved on. The honest answer is probably they'll find a way <laughs> to, know, exactly. to put you that's back what, in Azkaban. That's what I was thinking, too. So, that's what I was thinking, too. Especially uh, if Fudge is the minister. <laughs> yeah. So, Sirius is basically, I hate to call him one note, but he's basically the one note throughout the entire chapter of just like, can we get this over with now? Can I, like, can Hurry I kill up, him? Remus. Yeah, like, can we get this over with? I kind of want to kill him now. Um, Only one will die tonight. You almost forget Sirius is even there until he chimes in with these threatening, like, (laughs) one-liners. But anyway. Yeah, I just get the... And you still have to picture that that description that you read in the last Mm -hmm. chapter of this man sitting in a corner just wanting to kill something. He's not sitting in the corner anymore. He's sharing the bed with Ron. That's right. I'd be freaking terrified. (laughs) Yeah. Ron's like, get away from me, Remus. Get away from me, Lupin. And he's got, like, this guy sitting next to him. Okay. 
priorities. Yeah. Anyway, so Lupin essentially controls this entire chapter. Yes. And he just lays out a ton of information, a lot of which goes back to, uh, well, the, the, pref- the premise of it is, Harry, you have to understand. Like, you have to understand at least a little bit of this. you got to know what we know. you got to know who we are a little bit. Like, Which I think is a testament to Lupin. Like, he's taking in so much information for himself right now, right now, too. He even says, like, Sirius, you're going to have to help me. I don't know all of it. But he's so determined to make sure that Harry understands. To be fair, Harry is in a... I think uh, literally Lupin, he gives him back the wands. Yes. He puts his own away and he's yeah. like, you're armed, we're not, can you just listen to me first? Harry's not exactly in a talking mood in these two chapters. Uh, the last one and this one. Uh, he's more of a in an action mode. <laughs> Again, Harry. Yeah, it's very much Harry. Uh, and I'm sure Ron would be just as thrilled if he could actually stand on two legs. Uh, Hermione's a little bit more curious. It's like, no, wait, how does this play out? <laughs> like, but that's, that's also Hermione. I, get it. I know, like, yeah. yeah. It, yes. Roll delineation to its finest right here. <laughs> but anyway, so we, we learn a lot about, well, really a lot of things about Lupin uh, and, mm-hmm. and the whole werewolf background that Hermione kind of outed to the whole room right. last chapter. And he's like, okay, yes, I am a werewolf. Here's how that goes. I love how he also pointed this out to He's Even in this moment, when it's so tense, and there are literal lives on the line, Lupin still pokes at people. Oh, yeah. Because he poked at Hermione in the he last chapter. He's a marauder for a reason, dude. He might... He's, he's, he's phenomenal in so many ways. But he poked at Hermione in the last one, being like, Ha-ha, you only got one out of three right. Here, he's like, Harry... I literally told you that the Whomping Willow was put here when I got here. What you think that was for? Me. Oh, I've never read it that way before. Yeah, it was like, uh, I, I literally, literally told you this. I literally read it. Well, yeah, he, he says like, oh, I told you this information. Yeah. Now, let me tell you a little bit more about that. Like, oh, it was actually my fault. Yeah, I, I just, and the only reason I thought of that was because of his Hermione comment in the last chapter of like, yeah. guys, I literally... I just told you this. He kind of details that. He details his friendship with uh, really the other three of them. All three Mm -hmm. of them. And he gets into how the Wolfsbane potion wasn't a thing yet when they were in school. And his struggle of... Because he was bitten as a child. Yeah, I think eventually, you know, like, JK ended up telling us he was four, I want to say, when he was bitten. Okay. So, like, I mean, that's... Young kid. Young kid. Imagine being a little child, not understanding what happens to you. It's horrifying. Yeah. But it's horrifying on a lot of different levels. And the pain that he describes? Oh my gosh. Yeah, he gives a very vivid description of being a werewolf and the horrors that are involved in it, both from the onlookers around and the actual individual themselves. Right. Uh, really good job describing that whole totality of the scene. And then, so they say, like, Wolfsbane wasn't invented yet that wasn't a thing so the risk that Dumbledore takes on by even letting him into the school uh, he goes into a great deal describing the gratitude that he has and the yes. risk that Dumbledore went out on a limb for him to even come there and all of the things that went on for him to even stay there like planting the Whomping Willow which I'm sure was not a small undertaking for a couple of different reasons it's a plant that likes to beat on things right. like Putting it in the school is Even probably just the mechanics of a different person sneaking him out of the castle each yeah. month. And, like, once a month for... They're at Hogwarts for a large chunk of the year. Yeah. To keep it unnoticed that the only people who figured it out were James, Peter, and Sirius. Like, it's kind of shocking. Yeah. But... But, and, and that kind of goes to, you know, how close they were. And, oh, yeah. You know... Not everybody was probably Lupin's, you know, best friend forever. I would have been. I, I, look, as cool as Neville is, I'm sure nobody really, like, is paying attention to his day-to-day, like, schedule, necessarily. True. <laughs> so it's like... 
or Seamus or Dean or whoever you want to throw out there. No one's really like. Seamus and what... Dean pay attention to each other's schedule. They have matching tattoos. Now. Them, but like the Gryffindor common room as a whole is not like. Where's Dean every Thursday? Like you know whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Wolfsbane's not a thing. So I got to figure out different ways of, uh, as you just pointed out, shuffling him out of the castle right. and having a safe, controlled spot for him to uh, become the werewolf. And then um, Sirius and James figure it out. And then this is, and we can kind of get more into this in the spoiler section. Um, they spend a lot of time figuring out how to best work their friendship and keep their friendship together. And we'll have details on that, but we can get into it in the spoiler. Uh, they talk about like literal time frames. Yeah. Which I find fascinating. Oh my god, so fascinating. Which I think you did. Determine I did. You did a whole thing on anime. I, I went down a bit of a rabbit hole. So we'll get to that. Be, come back from the spoiler <laughs> section for that. It's going to be great. But skipping past that for right now, uh, he does mention like werewolves being an only danger to people, which mm -hmm. is a whole side discussion that we could also get on. And I have questions about it. And again, that crops up into our Animagus discussion. But he gets to the point where they helped, even without the Wolfsbane potion, which we learn helps keep the he individual's mind, mind yeah. which is fascinating. That's a really cool aspect of that magic. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, we can't figure out how to undo that werewolf curse, so how do we figure but out a way person, to manage it? Yeah. It's a cool outside-the-box idea. He points to them as friends without the use of the potion, being able to kind of rein in his personality a little bit and still have a little bit of himself yep. in there, which... His it, mind became less wolfish, is yeah. I think is the way he worded it. Which is kind of a cool thing to delve into as well, mm -hmm. of how exactly that works, and is there, like... And this is another thought I just come up with now as I'm speaking, but, like, is that an inherent form of magic that's not talked about? Well, I thought it went back a lot to the discussion you had with Elizabeth over whether Animagus can communicate with other animals. Ah, yeah. But then there's also the added layer of Lupin himself is actually, is a wizard, so it, he's not, like, an animal wolf. So, like, is that an added layer to, like, is it a bunch of, like, wizarding people who are already close is their friendship that's already been established does that add another layer to the fact that he's able to keep his mind or is it just that there's other animals that are kind towards him i feel like there's just a lot of layers what i was thinking is you know we know of spells you know of cheering charms or expelliarmus or what have you that are like specific obvious in your face magic spells mm -hmm. we also have heard of other spells that are a little less visible and more subtle, like older magic. The example I was thinking of is Lily's magic by saving Harry. Mm -hmm. it, it's not necessarily like in-your-face overt magic. It's like, right. I, I, but I don't want to call it like a, a trick or like a little like, you know. To me, it's like, it's subtle. like a deep earthy magic. It's like yeah. ancient. Yes. So it's forgotten for the new flashy, like, spells. Spell-based thing. That, yeah. It's, uh, so if a mother can have that type of magic towards a son, and it's just a deep bond, mm -hmm. if you had a friendship mm -hmm. that was so deep, could that supersede other forms of magic? I would say yes. That's where I was going with that, is the whole... Because it is, you know, the level of friendship I think the Marauders had for each other, that Harry, Ron, and Hermione have for each other, that is a level of friendship different, but I would argue, as a person who has very close friendships, equivalent to the love Lily laid down when she saved Harry. You know, different well, I mean, there's different but, words for love. I mean, there's different, like, forms of right, love. Right, exactly. Yeah. There's different forms of love. And just because there's different forms doesn't make them equally strong. So, like, I I would say, you know, like, a different Animagus 
being in the Shrieking Shack with Remus as he's transforming would not have helped him keep, you know, say Severus Snape became an animagus and was in the Shrieking Shack with Lupin. It's not going to help him keep his mind as much as maybe it would help him a little bit. Could it also adversely affect it? Like someone that's not a friendly, like at all? That being said, the, the, the danger is real. Like, whether you're friend or not, you're still getting into a room with a werewolf that has... Except apparently the danger is not the same because a bite doesn't affect animals. It doesn't affect them the same as it would when they're not transformed, which I thought was fascinating. That leads to a whole other line of questioning. I know, like, we should just like leave the Animagus stuff alone for the spoilers. <laughs> yes, uh, we'll, we'll deep dive hard into all the Animagus stuff in the spoilers. Um, but Lupin goes on to explain how he feels really guilty for hanging out with Sirius and and Peter and and James because he was essentially betraying Dumbledore's trust in putting others in danger. Because no matter how good of friends they were or how good they were at whatever magic they wanted to do, there's an inherent risk. And it's a it's a mess and not even for them. Lupin goes into talking about how they didn't just stay in the shack. They roamed the the forest, the forest the grounds and he reflects on it and being like, we were young and thoughtless. Like, more of an immature... I feel like he said something about, like, too clever for their own good. That was how he finished it, yeah. yes. Uh, so they were very cocky, arrogant about their own talents. Which I think is... I think most teenagers would uh, sure. be... Yeah. Young, uh, leading to, like, a more immature attitude. And thoughtless in that, you know... They just weren't thinking of, like, what could have actually really happened. Really bad things. Really bad things could have happened. We're dealing with a series of books right now where the main characters are young kids. They're 13. Like, we're not giving anybody a pass for doing something recklessly dumb. Of course not. No matter what age you are, it's dangerous. Um, But you do have to keep in mind that... They're not adults. They don't we, see consequences the same way. year old people sitting here discussing 13-year-old's actions are going right. to much more easily see the consequences of said actions than said 13-year-old's. Right. Yes. So, I mean, there, there's a lot going on there. But this is exactly what Lupin's doing. As an older... Uh, God, he is our age. Isn't he about this yeah. time? Yep, yep, yep. Great. Yep. So it is Lupin reflecting on his younger self going like, that was dumb. Like, we should not have done that. Right. It was a bad idea. Bad things could happen. We were outrageously lucky. I would go even further to ask the question. Like, I love Lupin. I very much am glad Lupin was able to go to Hogwarts, become friends with the Marauders, and live his life that he lived. I was very kind of Dumbledore. I see Dumbledore's viewpoint. How would... Say you were a parent... Of Davy Gudgeon. Davy Gudgeon reference, I love it. Say you found out, like, that a werewolf was allowed. Like, it is inherently dangerous. Like, Dumbledore put in a great plan, but it still wasn't foolproof. And, like, that is was perfect example is of what happens to Snape. Like, a lot of bad things could have happened. Like, I'm not trying to bring up like Ron's discrimination or anything like that but like there is an inherent danger to a werewolf being sure. around people no Dumbledore took quite a bit of risk uh, no, granted you're I'm also like, I'm glad he did it sure I'm, like, sure, sure. I'm so glad Lupin lived the life he lived if you're Dumbledore you almost like take into account I've already established my name for all of eternity like I've done this this and this <laughs> already forget like what i'm doing as the headmaster of hogwarts he's treating his reputation almost as like his own personal like protego <laughs> like, <laughs> like i like that don't come at me i've saved you all like i don't want to hear yeah. you know shots at me i can and it's honestly it's a little bit of his own personality shining through of his own bravado he's confident in himself yeah to fix whatever potential issues Come. Keeping everybody safe from that situation, yeah. Whether it's possible or not doesn't even occur to him because he's prodigiously talented and prodigiously wise. So yeah. he's like, whatever happens, 
I got this. I'm freaking Dumbledore. So anyway, <laughs> um, yeah. Lupin goes on on his wonderful monologue to uh, explain that he believed that Sirius did what he did. Because mm. uh, to his knowledge, that lined up, that made sense given what he knew of the situation at the time, uh, which goes back to the, the Sirius and the Peter switching places bit. Yeah. Uh, which we didn't really talk about in the last chapter, but uh, what he means is the, the secret keeper. Yes. They, they switched secret keeper, which Lupin was aware of, except he didn't know that they switched. Right. He was aware of... The original I think, plan. I think everybody in the Order of Phoenix was aware that James and Lily were going under the day Correct. Yes. But, yeah. The switch. That was a very obviously. inner, inner, inner circle yeah. thing. Nope. Inner, inner, inner. Like inner, inner, inner. Or people. Yes. Side note, how would you feel if you were Lupin? Like, figuring all this oh out right god, now? Oh my god, I'd be so hurt. Be crushing! Crushing. You're the one left out of that conversation, and you were a well, part of that entire group. thought he was the spy! I know, Which but... just goes back to werewolf discrimination from his closest friends. I, like, oh, I feel so sad for him. It, that Lupin would, has been so alone for so long, it makes me so that sad. That would crush yep. my soul if it I put that together. make it very hard for me, if I were Lupin, to forgive Sirius. Like, I feel like Lupin and Sirius just, like, go right back to, you know, embracing his brothers. Like, as soon as Lupin figures out the switch. I don't know if I would have been as quick to forgive, not knowing about the switch. Uh, I would have bet a complete mind-blowing experience though because on one hand you are elated right because I have people your again. best friend forever yeah. A is love his life we'll stay forever his best friend is not a murderer <laughs> um that's great yeah but at the same time yeah you gotta have an... you still have a best friend who is a murderer who pretended to be dead for 12 years <laughs> yeah that's true too <laughs> That is true. <laughs> so, I, this is the depths and the levels, and we've talked about that this entire book for Lupin. Like, the depth and levels of the emotions that he must be feeling at any given point in this entire book. Harry goes through oh. a lot. I would argue Lupin goes through more. Uh, yeah. I would say that because Lupin's a full grown adult right. who can fully grasp the complete depth. Nope. Of everything, Harry, bless him, a lot goes over his head. And only a couple of things actually Velcro stick. And it's usually the angry, aggressive ones that stick. So Lupin, given all of that, originally believed that it was Sirius using the dark arts to get into Hogwarts. He shoved as best as he could. The idea that he was using his abilities in Animagus right. to get around security. As much as he probably knew that that was how he was doing it, uh, he just tried to shove that to the mind because that was another secret he was keeping from Dumbledore, which he right. then felt guilty about. There's so much. I, I do have to bring it back to the light side. <laughs> Animals get in and out of Hogwarts all the time. <laughs> <laughs> like, now I, 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 I get that if Sirius is talking... Well, you're talking about Sirius and Peter in this specific case. And Crookshanks, right? Sirius is the big black dog is getting right. in and out of Hogwarts. Crookshanks, he's brought in, but he definitely He brought it. in, but he obviously yeah. gets in and out because yeah. he's roaming the grounds with Sirius at some point. Right. And then Peter, Peter as Scabbers, gets in and out. Yeah. So, Somehow gets into Hagrid's milk jug. That I have no idea. Yeah. But as far as getting in and out of Hogwarts, obviously Sirius and well, Peter... Well, escapes a lot, too. That's fair. I don't know that he leaves the castle, but he does get out a lot. At least of the, the common room. Right. So, I'd imagine Peter and Sirius obviously know some of, if not all of the... They know all of the passageways. Mm -hmm. So they, they, they could squeeze in and right. out yeah. however which way they need to. And I would guess then Sirius instructed Crookshanks on how to get in and out of the castle. So that's, I, I guess, would explain yeah. that. But I'm just like, while reading it, I'm like, wait, how did Crookshanks get out to the castle tonight to meet with Sirius, like, way back when? I Did Sirius, when he broke in, just be like, hey, 
Ostrich I mean, eggs. cats are pretty, like, resourceful. <laughs> you need to go to this thing of armor on whatever floor. You need to. How does it even get in there? Because you need to do the spell. I don't know. I don't think Crookshanks has to use. I think he just kind of, like, walks around. Just, like, slinks yeah. out of the door somehow? Yeah. Flitwick. Filch is going out into the grounds to do whatever Filch does, and Crookshanks just slips out behind him. Are you suggesting a Crookshanks-Mrs. Norris yes. relationship Absolutely. right now? Absolutely. <laughs> oh, my God, for sure. Is that what you're insinuating yes, right now? I think actually Crookshanks and Mrs. Norris are in a relationship. What's the relationship name now? You Mrs. got Shanks. <laughs> Mrs. Shanks. We're going with it. We're going with Mr. Shanks. Let us know on Twitter and Instagram what your ship name for Crookshanks and Mrs. Please Norris do. is. Give us your That's best. a whole line of fan fiction I don't want to read. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna stick with most time. I was gonna say we've talked about a lot of shipping. And fiction. Uh, <laughs> wow, that took a turn. All right, let's. How about we go into? How about we go into the spoiler section now? Uh, unless there's anything else you want to get to on the, the non-spoiler bit. Mm, I don't think so. But we. Do you have, want to talk at all about how the chapter ended before we go into? Oh, the that's right. We have this big cliffhanger. We have this big, big cliffhanger, where the door opens, and everybody's like looking around, and. Nobody sees anything, and Lupin is particularly curious. And he goes all the way up, and he looks really hard. Oz is his epic story. <laughs> he knows something is going on. He knows. He knows. You know who would, should probably know something's going on? Harry. Like, door mysteriously opens. And I think Ron goes, like, it's haunted. And Lupin's like, it's not haunted. That's this how is, he gets into the whole story. This has always yeah. been me. When did they bring up, because we learn about the details of the, I don't know why they call it a prank, but they call it a prank. That Sirius played on Snape when they were at school. Um, that story gets told in this chapter. It does get told in this chapter of, uh, I think it goes more along the lines of them breaking Dumbledore's trust. And then no, Hermione goes... Hermione specifically goes... Yes, she brings up the danger that could have happened, right? Uh, yes. Um, Hermione points out, like, you guys were wandering the grounds as a werewolf? Like, that's a problem. Which is where, you know, Lupin goes, yeah, we were young and thoughtless. But that's kind of how he gets into the story. Which, again, although Lupin feels, how may have... If I were Lupin, I don't know if I would have been able to forgive Sirius for that. Like, that prank quote unquote, is the reason Sirius Black will never be my favorite marauder. Like, that's a terrible, I mean, they were older when that had to have happened. That had to have happened 15, 16, 17 years of age. Uh, I would put it around 50. I'd put it around their fifth year, probably. Yeah. I, I don't know that for a fact. I would have been really mad at Sirius if I were Lupin. Um, anyway, that was a tangent. I... So serious, the whole, the whole thing was Snape was poking around yeah. and trying to figure out where they were going, and he was trying to figure out what Lupin was up to every month and mm -hmm. and things like that, and he was getting closer and closer to figuring it out. So Sirius was like, "Okay," and just, he just told him to go how to get to the Shrieking Shack. This is where Lupin's going. Go, go. I mean, he was very direct about it. James was not on board with that game plan. And my boy. went to stop Snape from going to Which he had to do in human form, so he put himself at risk he, as well. That is true. Okay. That out there. And so when I read this and I'm reading Lupin's story, I'm like, Anna's gonna jump all over this. <laughs> Where do you for think James. the love for James was born? I know, I know. I I literally I was reading this with like my analytical critiquing objective like I'm reading this book to do a podcast and write notes and do the whole thing and my secondary monologue was Anna's gonna point this out <laughs> this is where Anna's love of James started like I had a secondary monologue running as I was reading this chapter You're uh, it's almost like we've talked to Harry Potter before uh, long before this podcast ever started so anyway yeah that's, that's where that came in you see everybody's take on it you see why Lupin is like, I wasn't a part of this. Like, why are you upset with me? Mm. You understand Snape being... Well, right. <laughs> yeah. Like, 
truly, understandably upset of like, I could have at best been like uh, just scared, uh, whatever, and embarrassed because, you know, whatever happens. At worst, he could have died. Whatever he thought he was going to find at the end of the tunnel, I'm pretty sure it wasn't a werewolf. I guess Snape's a smart guy. He might have been piecing together a couple of bits of it. I still don't think he expected to actually find the werewolf well, they're... there waiting to, like, bite him. I, I will give you this. It's like, whatever you think is different from ex- expectation. <laughs> like, he might have been thinking, like, he might be doing this every month. And then seeing it is like, oh my. <laughs> like, whoa. But So anyway, the, the mysterious door opening, but no one there. <laughs> at the perfect... Dramatic Snape. And I like <laughs> They're literally talking about the prank. And Harry says, so that's why Snape doesn't like you. Because he thought you were in on the joke. And that's when Snape reveals himself. It's... That's right. Sneered a cold voice from the wall behind Lupin. That is the most 13-year-old drama queen Snape you are yes! ever going to get. Snapple-less. <laughs> like... That is him full on. Like, we've talked about him kind of, like, being childish sometimes, yeah. letting go of the past. This is him, like, fully reverting back to, like, 13, 14-year-old Snape. He is right back in that moment. Oh, man. Anyway, we should pause. Yeah, yeah. Take a break, and we will come back for a very Animagus heavy spoiler section. We'll be right back. You! You foul loads of them evil little cockroach! All right, we are back with the spoiler section of Chapter 18, Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot, and Prongs. So, thank you. It's uh, <laughs> a lot of words. It's a long chapter title. Sure, uh, So, in Lupin's big monologue here, he does drop the detail of how the Marauders came to be uh, their different Animagus. And he says, after three years, three years it took them uh, to learn and practice... They finally figured it out in their fifth year, which is a little interesting math because five minus three, they started in their second year. 12 years old. That is mind-blowing. And not to put any shade on Hermione figuring out the polyjuice potion in her second year, because she completes the polyjuice potion. They don't complete it here. In one try, right. But they have the, the ambition and the, which is a Slytherin trait. Oddly enough. But they have the ambition and the... Fortitude? Oh, that's a good word. Like, it is That's a, a good word. Process. Thank you. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. They have the ambition and the fortitude to even attempt such... We learned in this book that McGonagall doesn't even bring up being an Animagus until year three. They started yeah. this in two. So one, they already know what an Animagus is, which, fair enough, all of them have grown up in a wizarding household. So there's that. But also, they had to have gotten into the restricted section to find out what this process is. And I feel like a, at least a year of this was researching how to do it. At least. I mean, Lupin says that they were young and, and somewhat careless. How did they even come up with the idea? Like, oh, you're a werewolf? Maybe if we become animals, that'll be helpful to you. We'll learn how to do this thing. Lupin mentions that they were young and careless, but this requires some forethought. Mm-hmm. And, like, some real... Hermione, we we take as, like, a, a, a special mind and a special brain, which she, she is. is. She absolutely is. And Lupin, you know, calls her the you know, brightest witch mm-hmm. of her age. I have no doubt she could do this. Yes. If she set her mind to it. But my point is, you have four individuals mm. that accomplish the task. Three. Yeah, but I would assume Lupin is helping Lupin's them. Lupin's helping them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Assume Lupin is like... help them through the actual right. transformation. But I imagine Lupin is heavily helping the research oh, yeah. and the, the yeah. process and like, hey, how are we going to do this? How are you like, you know. Because uh, I guess he's often thought of, at least I have often thought of him as, like, the Hermione of that group. Like, the brain-brain part of it. Because he was a more... I think... They're all smart. Don't get me wrong. I was going to say, I all... think we do think of him that way. Like, I think the fandom as a whole. Yeah. 
is guilty of thinking him bad. And as much as I, he is smart. He is a brilliant student. Right. I think James and Sirius are both more talented than him. Lupin is whatever you want to call it. The more academic of the, what, however you want to frame it is fine. My point is that no, James and Sirius are particularly you you use talented, yes, obviously, um, but they're not dim either. They're very bright in their own right, especially when you give them a very focused goal mm-hmm. to obtain, and they're locked in. Uh, they really can lock in and focus and achieve something. And we've talked on the podcast earlier, really briefly. We broke down Peter Pettigrew. And the fact that everybody shortchanges Peter Pettigrew all the time because he's always with James, Sirius, and Lupin. James, Sirius, and Lupin. James, Sirius, and Lupin. They're all this, this, and this. This, this, and this. Peter's not an idiot either. Even telling this story, Lupin says Peter needed all the help that James and Sirius could give. Yeah, he needed needed a little extra help. And that's fine. But he's... So... He didn't end up half a rat. That's true. I, I think Peter's smarter than a lot of people give him credit for. I think he's more talented than a lot of people give him credit for. He's not to the level of the other three. Right. Sure. Yes. That doesn't mean he's Peter a complete... Just bring back the Dark Lord. <laughs> right. But to the point about you know him still being able to accomplish the task, uh, Hermione gives us some fun facts about um, being an Animagus. And I, you have a ton on this, but mm. there are only seven registered in the last century. Right. Uh, now, that goes to say seven registered. That does not mean that there are others that aren't registered that have managed to accomplish the task. There's probably a fair few. Which, when I read that in your outline, my <clears> first thought was, like, all capital letters, I thought there were a lot of unregistered enemies. Maybe not as many as I was first thinking, because, like, really, when you think about it, Yes, it's cool magic, but how many practical uses are there for it, depending on the animal you turn into? And it's still, like, there's a lot of people in the world, so more than seven are more than capable of accomplishing it. then I read the process of becoming an animes, which is available for anybody who wants to read it on Wizarding World. It is a process. Let's hear it. So it is an eight-step process, which doesn't sound very long. But then, like, you read what it entails. And, like, just, it's so easy to mess up. And I feel like it sounds so intense. I feel like, to me, the way I read it, you're almost, like, changing your whole form. That, like, you're no longer 100% human. So, basically, okay. So, it starts out, quote-unquote, easy. You know, first you have to be skilled in both transfiguration and potions, which I feel like maybe not everybody expects. You start out by carrying a single mandrake leaf leaf in your mouth for a month because it needs to like soak up your saliva and your essence apparently, which like if you swallow it, you have to start over. So I feel like at some point, one of the marauders swallowed it and that's why it took them. Then there's like all these things about adding a dew that hasn't touched sunlight or a human foot and it needs to do something for a certain amount of time and then you have to wait for a specific type of storm but then this is where I feel like it gets really intense so when this specific storm starts you have to hold your wand tip over your heart and recite an incantation over and over and over again at sundown and sun rise and eventually you start to feel a second heartbeat inside of yourself and like that gets more intense it's supposed to be very painful you will feel quote a fiery pain and then that second heartbeat you originally felt will get more intense and then this is where it comes back to a conversation you and I have already had is that when the fiery pain happens and the intense double heartbeat, that is when the shape of the creature that you're going to transform into will appear in your mind. And you don't have any choice in that creature. It's just like once that second heartbeat starts up, your creature appears in your mind. And then as long as it has all gone correctly, that is when you will have your first transformation. And from there, it's a lot of, it seems like, visualization. 
like how you turn back into your human. You no longer need a wand to be able to do this back and forth between animal form and human form. You just visualize it in your mind. To get back into human, you have to imagine your human form. To go into your animal form, you imagine your animal form. So this is from the Wizarding World site, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I do have one question about the, the choice of the Animagus, or the lack of choice of the Animagus. So wouldn't it be something if James and Sirius had this grand plan and then they just so happen to be like small animals that couldn't sm- control a werewolf, or not even just small, but just like animals that can't control a werewolf of some sort? Yeah, like it. That would be highly unfortunate. It would indeed be. Yes. So it's just like, uh, yeah, yeah. And I mean, there's nothing you can do about it. From everything that I've read, you can't change it. Once you become an Animagus, there is no way to undo it. Like, you are permanently an Animagus for the rest of your life. Um, I have another quick thought that I just wanted to throw at you. Um, We've talked about magic having the potential to be its own actual character through the series. Mm -hmm. Do you think instances like this are where, like, and I've likened it to the Force in Star Wars, where it's like the will of the Force it's like, do you think this could also be like a will of magic? Like I do, because everything I was reading is like, so this form that appears in your mind that you don't have a choice in still reflects your personality. Even to the point it said it was supposed to vaguely um, match your physical description. So like the one I thought of was serious, like... I even like when he was young, he's described as having longer, shaggier hair, and then he's this shaggy big dog. So like somehow even physical descriptors are supposed to match up. But then, you know, a big deal is always made of Harry's Patronus being a stag, just like his father. Well, apparently for an animagus, there is a link, according to Wizard World, a known link between your animagus form and your Patronus form. So somehow I feel like it's all involved in your personal inherent magic and like your love, like maybe, you know, a big deal is always made of Snape's Patronus being the same as Lily's and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So like all of this magic is somehow inherent to like inside of you. So like, and that's like you said with the force is all inherent inside of the person. I just, the more you deep dive into it, it, you just get the sense, like, magic's not random. Right. Like, it's, it has a whole... And I think that goes back to the Marauders helping Remus keep his mind as a werewolf. Yeah. And, yeah. It's an interesting kind of discussion to take when you recontextualize it that way. You know what I mean? And I I guess you kind of answered it with with the Patronus thing... But I was about to ask you, like, okay, serious, and the the you know shaggy appearance, and the, and the dog, okay, I can get that. Where does James become <laughs> a large stag? I don't I actually did a lot of research into it. Maybe when we were talking about Patronuses, about the meaning behind a stag. You think the first time they did this for the first time, and they showed each other like what forms? Serious <laughs> is just like wow. Little horny there, bud, huh? Oh, you know. <laughs> like... You know it happened that way. You absolutely know. And, like, you know they also made fun of Peter for being a rat. But, oh, like, sure. nobody picked up on that. All this information that I just got from, you know, well, like, one Google search that happened to bring me up to the exact Wizarding World article that I was looking for. All of the research that they did for all of these years. They didn't get a clue about what Peter being a rat would potentially mean for their friendship. But yeah, I, I don't know. I guess um, part of that is you're right. They, if they had done the same potential research that you did on the Wizarding World, they should have come to that conclusion of like, well, what does that mean exactly? Being a stag means a loyal leader. 
I still like my take on it, but that's mine. Whatever. I mean, there's functional uses for one of them being small, like mm-hmm. obviously getting the knot on the yep. the Whomping Willow. So they might have figured, I, I believe that they're, and this very well could have been naive, but them thinking like, okay, well, you know, we're all really good friends mm-hmm. and there's functional real world applications for that being small and useful they could have just glossed over the potential like flags i know you know and you know because at the end of the day they think they know this person better than they did go listen to our our peter pettigrew breakdown because it's actually a quite good and we get into the the bits of peter pettigrew like he couldn't have been happy like with James and Lily, for that matter, being killed. He couldn't have been happy about that. Like, a lot of this was, and you just mentioned it, with all four of them keeping it from Lupin. Why? Because they thought he was a traitor. Why? Because Voldemort had created this Mm -hmm. level of suspicion and fear and this fog of war that was very real. And it permeated everybody. So this idea that oh, Peter was purely, uh, I'm going to screw over James and Lily because I hate them. There might have been a level to that. Right. Uh, uh, jealousness, uh, I think there is an inherent, inherent bitterness in Peter. Sure. Grew and grew. There is a level between bitterness and exactly. I am going to cause their yes. death. Yeah. And I think Voldy... Peter gets the brunt of that. I don't think Voldy gets nearly enough, like... Credit for turning him. He yeah. turned down the Tom Riddle charm that he uses with Hepzibah Smith and Slughorn. It's and... a bit of that charm, and it's a bit of the, I have killed a whole bunch of people. Right. I won't stop because of you, and I won't stop because of them. I'm going to get them I'm eventually. Gonna... It's going to happen. You're probably going to die when I get them. Why not save yourself? Like, the, the, people don't give enough validation to what that first Wizarding War was like. McGonagall, in this book, gets teary-eyed thinking of, like, it was awful. Like, that time was horrific, and that's McGonagall. So, well, and think about when Moody goes through the picture of the original Order of the Phoenix. They died, like, two days after this what, or whatever. Like <laughs> yeah. four yeah. people left from the original Order. Slightly more than that, so, but, like, most of the people in that picture were dead. Like, and I... I'm going to toot our own horn here a little bit, but I'm proud of that discussion that we had because it's a discussion that, me personally, I haven't heard anywhere else. So it's a conversation that's good to have. And it's a little fuller picture of what Peter Pettigrew might have been going through because I guarantee it wasn't all rainbows and sunshine. Like, that's part. Nobody's life is all rainbows and sunshine. None of that was good for anybody. Right. So... I'm sorry. I went on a tangent. I love it. You got a ton more on it. Well, I mean, like, I think it's just more, like, I don't know. It was really hard to organize my thoughts because I, I just feel like there's some, you know, connection between human and animal. And I kept going a lot. I mentioned it in the non-spoiler section, back to the conversation you had with Elizabeth about, like, whether or not animagus are able to communicate with animals, because... Mm. And then that brought me to the link between the interactions that a werewolf has with the human form versus the animagus form. Like, what is it about an animagus? They're not fully human when they're in that form, obviously, but they're also, you know... Like, I just, they have to have some part of their humanness because they clearly still have their mind. And they need to be able to visualize themselves to get back into their human form. But there is inherently a fully animal level to them because the werewolf can't harm them. Like, they can't turn them into a werewolf. Mm -hmm. But clearly, I think there has to be some sort of level of communication and inherently is that why Lupin more fully keeps his mind because he's basically having a conversation with his friends now and having fun with his friends just in this animal it's just like I feel like there's whatever the magic 
there is in this transformation into which everything Wizarding World says is it should not be considered the same as Transfiguration. That Transfiguration and Anime Guy are different. That basically Anime Guy is a learned skill is the way they put it. And they say that it's because it doesn't require a wand and that it's permanent. Whereas Transfiguration requires a wand, an incantation, and can be reversed. So I just feel like the more I read about it, the more I felt like if you decide to become an Animagus, you are somehow inherently changing your form. Like, so like, like down to like a molecular yeah. level. Like you're literally changing your essence, for lack of a better word. Like you're word. still human, obviously, there's still human in you, but some part of you is also now like animal. It was just like, I don't know, it's wild. And you're, I wonder, so if your personality and who you are, physically, emotionally, mentally, personality, whatever, if who you are affects what you become as an animagus, I wonder how much of that is like reversed the other way. Like the more you become this animagus. Oh. Like if you like do how those traits then flip did over and Peter's become personality change in some way by living as a rat for 12 years. Yeah. Finding ways to survive. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? For sure. Yeah. Uh, that's a good reverse. I, I was just wondering like if one interacts on the other, why can't the other interact on it? Yeah. The, I think the it's original. got to. So, well, especially and changing for, I mean, my, they change every month for years. Mm-hmm. Years. Years. Even though they didn't, And you I know, feel like they had to have probably started using it a lot more during the war. Like, it's... It's, use, it's many, a useful trait. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, no, I'm about to be caught. Well, Which they still kept. into a dog and just trot out of this alley. So you're in the Wizarding War, and you're in the Order of the Phoenix, you're still keeping that little tidbit about yourselves Ooh, yeah. private. So Dumbledore yeah. didn't know how to use yeah. that to, I guess, full effect. Because uh, he didn't know, apparently. Yeah. So, which, by the way, is an how impressive magic trick in Dumbledore. itself. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> also, just when you said this, this also made me think. Mm-hmm. Lupin was still changing into a werewolf once a month. He still didn't have the Wolfsbane potion during the first Wizarding World. Yeah. I would bet so much money, James and Sirius, and, and Peter, I will give it to Peter, I will bet you they still found a way to be there for his transformations. Maybe not all three of them at the same time like it used to be at Hogwarts. I'm but sure there's. I will bet you he still was never alone in a transformation. I'm sure, there's practical applications for it because we we know what his role was in the seconding second Wizarding War, of being like an underground spy almost. Oh, he had the same role in the first war, right? Because I think they said that's the main reason they didn't trust him. That that that's why they thought he was a spy because most of the time he was away in the underworld. Okay. So I'm I'm sure there's practical applications during a war to kind of keep him more in check. But also there had to be times then when they the purpose, the full purpose was to literally let him go. go. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's tricky. That's a whole lot of But I mean that I, I this is deep and not really related, but I mean it's war, you got to take chances yeah. and you got to take you know yeah whatever shots you have you got to fire them so especially in that especially particular when you're losing person like every day yeah yeah it's people don't talk about the first one more i don't think as much yeah. uh granted we don't, we don't have like the first world war very much either do we that's Thought true that too war yeah that's true too funny how those parallel it's almost like it was done on purpose <laughs> <laughs> but, but... no no uh, do you have anything else on Animagus? No, I think I went down my full rabbit hole. It was awesome. I, I've always, always, always been a fan of guests coming on and giving me a full down the rabbit hole, deep dive on whatever research well, they've I done. I hope I communicated it well. That you did. I, you did a great job. find it as fascinating as I did. So. I think it's really cool. And uh, I appreciate the Animagus research on Wizarding World and all of that. I think people will find that really 
really illuminating. It was wild. Maybe I'll post a link on the Instagram for us. There's an idea. And we'll do it on the Twitter as well. So we'll post all of that. Let us know what all of your thoughts are on the Marauders as a whole, on Peter Pettigrew, on becoming an Animagus. What Animagus would you become? Such a question. We'll ponder this one. Yeah. And get back to it in the final episode. We're running long, yeah, but I, sorry, guys. I did want to ask you one question since we're it's a big marauder. It's literally uh, Mooney, Wormtail, Pathfinder, and Prongs. This is the chapter title here. Yes. So we've uh, talked a little bit about um, when the Marauder's map was personally insulting Severus Snape. Mm-hmm. And it literally went line for line, mm-hmm. two, three, four insults. The question we posed was, is that literally... Each one of the Marauders, all four of them, writing their own particular brand of humor insults into the map. Like, is that mm-hmm. their individual personality? Because all four of them contributed. Yes. Oh, yeah. So is that each one of their personalities coming through in their sense of humor? Or is it just, like, the person that just, you know, is like, which insult can I write? Whatever. Is it just, like, one of them? Or is it, like, literally each one of them writing an insult and being like... I think it's each of their personality. Each insult is individual enough. To me, it gives off, you know, you can tell it's coming from a different person. To me. Anyway, I don't know. I would like to believe that it's the four of them, because that just makes it fun. And also, like we've talked about already, it it puts them on more equal footing of, like, they can each banter with each other and each right. toss and throw different like right. you know what I'm saying? Exactly. So Mr. Mooney presents his compliments to Professor Snape and begs him to keep his abnormally large nose out of other people's business. Does that it's, sound like Lupin? It's detailed. It's and He it's uses a, a big word subtle, abnormally. <laughs> a big word. He's not crass. He's just it's kind of like sassy to me. You know? It's not So yeah. Like, let's compare it to Mr. Prongs agrees with Mr. Mooney and would like to add that Professor Snape is an ugly git. It's not, you know, very, doesn't take a lot of thought. It's just like throwing out there, I'm going to call you a name. There's not a lot of cleverness to it. Not that James isn't clever, but like when he's insulting Snape, it's just kind of like, I'm just going to say the most, you know, first thing that comes out of me. I could buy, I could buy James. Yeah, I could buy that for James. It's very hairy. You know, yeah, Harry has some sassy comebacks. Harry is the king of comebacks. Sass. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's, but when he's just, like, insulting someone, I feel like he's just going to, like, throw it out there. And that is very James, too, to me, anyway. Uh, Mr. Padfoot would like to register his astonishment that an idiot like that ever became a professor. That's a little bit more clever. That's a clever little shot. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I like the magic in it that... They've registered that Snape is now a professor at... Right. So, like, and that's... I feel like that right there in and of itself says something about, like, they had to have imbued some part of themselves because the map is still learning things. You know, the map is taking information in. Honestly, reading the last one real quick, mm-hmm. uh, can I... I think it might actually be the wittiest. Yeah, no, I know. I read <laughs> like, it and I was like, wow, that's a lot better than I remember. Uh, Mr. Wormtail bids Professor Snape good day and advises him to wash his hair the slime ball. Yeah. That's like, witty. That's actually the, the best of them all. <laughs> like, and, and, you know, maybe, maybe it's, you know how you have to almost, like, when you're hanging out with a Quidditch star and you're hanging out with the smart kid and you're hanging out with, like, uh, you know, Sirius is just the the cool guy impersonated. You have to like almost. You feel like you have to like overcompensate a bit, and he just like comes up with like but the also, best. But also, I think that shot. might have just been inherently who like something about Peter Pettigrew, something about who he was. He made friends with these three intelligent, witty, you know, people. They wouldn't have just been friends with some, you know, giant idiot who couldn't form thoughts. They would not have been friends with Crab and Goyle. Right, yeah. No, they would have been making fun of right. Crab and Goyle in these like, things. No matter what, like, status Crab and Goyle might have had, they would not have been friends with them. It's like, there must have always been an inherent wittiness to Peter Pettigrew. What do you think with the moment that he 
changed was. The fear and anxiety. You know what I mean? So I think the Th- last... This is a side comment that's like... <laughs> I know. Gonna open up a whole bag of... I've always imagined the last few years of the Marauders Hogwarts time being more similar to what the seventh year of the books of, you know, what Harry's seventh year would have been in Hogwarts. There was a lot more darkness. There was a lot more, um, you know, there wasn't like students being tortured, but, you know, they already knew that Snape was really into the dark arts. There was already like an underground world of like, hey, there's this group, you know, we're going to join this cousin of mine is already part of it as soon as we graduate. Like, I think there was already this, like, kind of underground, dark world in the last few years of the Marauder's Time at Hogwarts. And I feel like maybe Pettigrew, for whatever reason, Pettigrew had his nose to, I think... I think Peter Pettigrew was always the type of person, you know, he made friends with James and Sirius because he could see they were, you know, the group, like you were saying earlier, they were the it group. But he wasn't going to put all his eggs in one basket. Well, So he always kind of had his ear to the ground with the dark side. To your point, and you're... You're to bring this around to your wonderful research on Animagus, and it's part of who you are. People automatically assume like rat equals betrayer or rat equals mm-hmm. liar. Rat is also a survivor. Oh. Rats survive in horrific, awful conditions. Any natural disaster you are in, follow the freaking rats, man. Yeah, they're survivors. Yeah. So that's a a different spin to put on Pettigrew. I wouldn't call it that a positive spin. I'm not like saying... That person I would want to be, but... You you follow where you're, you know, best able to make it to the next day. Yeah. And if you have Voldemort knocking on your door, the next day becomes a lot better when you're like, I'll do what you need me to do. Right. When you're faced with death. So I think that started at Hogwarts for him, though. Like, I don't think he started plotting, you know, like, oh, sure, like, yeah, I have to, I'm going to do. But I think he always kind of knew, like, oh, there's this group. This is the person I should talk to if I ever need to, you know, cover myself with this It's group. clever. It's a clever thing, just in a different way. Yeah. You know? It's, like you said, it's a survivalist. But it's that slime ball quote that's like happy, joyful, quick-witted, right. and it's just not the Pettigrew that we ever really see. No. Which also makes you wonder with like Sirius and Lupin. There was a lot of the two of them, what they were like at school that we didn't get to see. I think that a, a that war be, changes you. I, I Yes. Wouldn't it be, I know we've talked about it and don't think it's ever going to happen but if god willing someday we get a marauders prequel oh that's all i want i would be so happy i i would love if they showed Pettigrew in this light Mm -hmm. a happier joyful fitting in with james fitting in with lily and sirius and lupin not the i don't want them to hit it on the head too hard of like this is what he becomes or whatever I want to see that. I want to see the slime ball throwing, oh you know, yeah. Pettigrew. Yep. I think it'd be really cool. And then just make the the actual series that much harder to take. You know what I'm saying? I would love a series. I've always said I wanted to start at the end of Snape's Worst Memory. And I want it to go up until Halloween 1981. Yeah. If we got the prequel of Peter Pettigrew where he's best friends forever with the other three and then we see the darkness that follows that hits so much harder than it does with just like oh he's a rat it was obviously coming yeah it's a good conversation anyway uh, i think we covered pretty much everything is there anything else you want to talk about no i think i have okay uh that was a Great conversation. Hopefully everyone enjoyed it that was listening. We really appreciate you sticking with us through a long episode. 
I wish I could tell you that I didn't foresee these chapters being long, um, but I knew Anna loved them so much. Yeah, so sorry, guys. That's okay. Stick with us. We got this. This book gets crazy. So uh, stick with us for the next couple of chapters, and the end of Prisoner of Azkaban is coming soon. Oh my gosh, that's so sad. I know. So we got a lot of good conversations left to have. So join us. Talk with us on Twitter and Instagram. Let us know what you're thinking. And uh, for Anna. Hi. It was fun. Thanks. I'm Dan. Thank you so much. Uh, we really appreciate it. And we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts, a podcast.